So as you're listening to the Concrete Conservative, WSQF 94.5, you're going to be hearing our first caller with Mr. Honeydew Ed and Mac on the Rock. Our first caller must be Chris Ann, I and she's going to be Chris talking Ann, about First University. She's going to be talking about the administrative state. This is WSQF ninety four point five FM. Listening to the Concrete Conservative, I'm yours truly, Mac on the Rock with Ed Vidal. Who am I speaking with? This is Chris Ann Hall. Chris hey. how are you? Nice to uh, speak to you again. It's been some time. Well, Chris Ann, thank you for calling. You've really been burning up the uh, social media. I follow you on LinkedIn, and I think you have a lot of good uh, legal and constitutional issues. I want to talk about the administrative state, but I was wondering what you see as the uh, most pressing constitutional and legal issues of the day. You know, I think that uh, what I see is the rapid decline of separation of power between the state and federal government, and especially exemplified by this phenomenon that I've been talking about for years called trickle-down tyranny. And so what we've seen now uh, for nine years is the expansion of the federal government's power, the acceptance of that expansion by the people themselves, to the point that now the local state and local governments feel emboldened to impress their will and uh, the tyranny of the majority on the people through acts of legislation or acts of resolution, uh, just simply, uh, not just simply an ignoring of the Constitution of the United States, but we have a an utter disregard for the rule of law itself in the defense of the rights of the individual uh, taking place on the state and local level where the state and local governments are denying and defying their own state constitution. Okay, so why don't you give us a couple of concrete examples? Uh, Well, we have uh, the red flag laws that are being, that are, you know, spreading across United States. I know that Florida wasn't the first to create these kinds of red flag laws, but we certainly uh, created the spark most recently that has caused the the spread of of these tyrannical laws across the United States, which is frustrating for me on two parts, not only because Florida is my state, but because Florida has a Republican House, a Republican Senate, and these, these Right-denying and defying laws uh, were signed into action by a Republican governor, the very <laughs> same party that is whose platform declares now two successive platforms have declared to be the party of the Constitution, and so I find that very, very alarming that we now have these laws in uh, Florida that not only deny people of their right to self-preservation, but the right uh, to do process, the right to property, and creating ex post facto laws, okay, particularly well, the provision that says if you're 18 to 21, you can no longer own these firearms, which means if you own these firearms prior to the passing of this law, the possession of these arms are now illegal, which is clearly an ex post facto law. 
Well, uh, Christian, are you familiar with what the AG is presently doing now, recalling some uh, concealed permits? That's the uh, Agriculture Commissioner. Yeah, she's... No, 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 no. I, I absolutely am. We covered it on uh, the Christian Hall show uh, recently. I'm pretty sure that you guys had that on, you know, I mean, you guys carry my show on your station. So. Wait a second. Uh, so you're yeah, telling our audience that I'm... I'm taking information, cutting and paste no, from the no, Chris Ann show, yeah. and now putting it back out in the Concrete Conservative yeah, but show. We want to talk. talk well, I want you. the audience to know what the AG is doing. That's the motivation. Yeah, well, you know what's what, once again most disturbing. The AG is not even supposed to. Uh, well, it's not the AG. It's the Commissioner of Agriculture. Right. Uh, which you know, the, the Commissioner of Agriculture is not even supposed to have anything to do with the permit process, but was. Uh, the action of lobbyists on the state level, particularly one woman by the name of Marion Hammer, who's the head of the NRA here in Florida, convinced the Florida legislators to quietly, without notice, transfer the conceal and permitting process from the sheriff and the secretary of the state to the uh, commissioner of agriculture. And now we have a Democrat that's a commissioner of agriculture who is attempting to revoke these conceal and carry permits in a most injudicious and uh, non-due process kind of way. And now the uh, Marion Hammer and the MRA are, are feigning their outrage that the uh, that the commissioner of agriculture is in charge of this, and now asking the people to move this power to the the chief financial officer, and I'm not really quite, well. For you think it was? You think it was a set? Chrisanne, do you think it was a setup? You think it was a setup by the RNRA playing a trick no, at, at our just, expense? They, they just thought that the agricultural commissioner would always be their friend, and now they have one that isn't. Right. Well, they did it because it's a political game. It's a political shell game. I wouldn't so, play with people's concealed the, weapon permits. They, She's, uh, she's really done us a disservice because nobody likes to have a concealed weapon permit and be waiting for the call. I, I, yeah. I don't know how I would we're react. Never, she was never in favor of, of constitutional carry. She's always been in favor of the, the permission slip process, is what we call it on the Christiane Hall show, because it's what is a permit but, it's, but a permission slip. And, it's, uh, and every constitutionalist should find right. it outrageous. Right. That we have to get a permission slip from government <laughs> right. to carry a firearm. You shouldn't need to get that. I agree. So it's time to go to constitutional carry in Florida. So now we have a situation, you know, when it's in the hands of the sheriff, uh, or if we actually had constitutional carry in the state of Florida, the uh, Marion Hammer can't conduct her fundraising campaign right. and and fund the the slew of attorneys hired by the NRA to engage in litigation because then the litigation wouldn't exist 
but I, I, you know, the whole permission slip thing is wrong. So we are going to make sure everybody can carry in this county without repercussion unless they violate the law and otherwise. Yeah, or, or psychological problems. You know, uh, Chris Ann, there's another point with, with having the sheriffs do it, and that is that in, in a couple of states where the state governments are trying to grab the guns, the yeah. sheriffs are rebelling, and they're saying, no, we're not going to enforce that. It's, I think, well, New Mexico. Well, that's the crazy and, thing, right, because Florida is supposed to be a red state. Right. In the very least, we're supposed to be a purple state. Where you have Washington State, which is completely blue politically, with a sprinkling of red on the eastern side of the state, they have passed the very same gun-grabbing laws with the very same Florida provision of taking guns from people aged 18 to 21, and they have a massive movement by the sheriffs who are publicly not just standing up and talking, but issuing written resolutions that they will not enforce this state law. And it really is mind-boggling to me that we can even call Florida a conservative state anymore, given the fact that we have had no sheriff in the state of Florida stand up and say publicly we're not going to enforce these laws. New Mexico is another state. They're refusing to enforce these laws as well. It really is amazing because an 18 to 21-year-old can can hold... uh you know, on AR-15, well, a military... Vote, he can go into the military... But and carry one on AR, the equivalent of a civilian AR-15 and go to battle with it, but as a private citizen, he can't. So these points are obviously been made over and over again. But what yeah, would what would the I, Department of Agriculture have to do with weapons? I don't get it. Nothing. That's, nothing in Florida, all, that's but where again, they are. it was about consolidating it into a political body. And now that that political body is no longer a Republican... Uh, you know, then then we have to feign all this political outrage like Marion Hammer is doing in the NRA and, and, and try to move it not back to the sheriffs where it's supposed to be, but into another political body that could be swayed by 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 lobbyists. You who know, who would be the be, what would be the best department to handle such things? No Just constitutional no carry, de- no, no department. department right. no, no department. No department. No department. That would be the best thing. You constitutionally speaking, the Florida Constitution already says that the militia of the state of Florida will consist of every able-bodied citizen of the state. And so I'm not quite sure how you can declare by Constitution that the state militia is every able-bodied person of the citizen of the state and then make those able-bodied persons get a permission slip. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Not only that, if you're able see, we, I hear the argument about the 18-year-old can go to war, but I think it's even more egregious than that because, you know, the argument is, well, not everybody chooses to go to war. But listen, your 18-year-old can legally make a binding contract, which means your 18-year-old can legally purchase a home and can legally have a loan to purchase that home. Your 18-year-old can get married, can have a family without getting permission from their parents. Yet what we're telling our people from 18 to 21 in Florida, you can buy a home, you can have a home, you can have a family. But you can't protect it. But you can't protect them. You are absolutely an indentured servant of the government of Florida, and you have no freedom. That's that's right on the money. Wow. So, yeah, this is a classic example of the administrative state overextending its boundaries. By by Republicans at the state level, by Republicans at the state level, by Republicans. This is really absurd. Yes, yes, it is absolutely absurd. But that's why, George, 
warned us in uh, his farewell address to to prevent political factions, he called them factions, but we call them parties, to getting power. Because then the leaders of the political parties, he says, will eventually, and history proves this to be true, will eventually want to consolidate power unto themselves. Well, also, uh, um, in, in uh, Federalist Papers number 10, the chief opposition to Federalist to Madison's uh, Federalist 10 was a gentleman named Clinton, I believe, Clinton. And yeah. he said that uh, that famous statement, uh, well, the factions will start arguing among themselves, uh, beside themselves, against themselves. And this is a perfect example. The Republicans and Democrats are on the same side on this issue. And they're taking our rights to conceal right. carry. They actually don't like each other, and they're actually arguing with each other so that the people can remain deceived and distracted uh, to the point where... Yeah, grow the independent party. Yeah, (laughs) tribalism becomes more important than than principle. And the independent party benefits without a platform, without any kind of substance. what, What happens is that both incumbent parties want more government. That's their God. Yeah. More government. Absolutely. More more government. So, uh, all right, so we go on to another subject. Uh, uh, the, ba- the, fight, uh, the battle's not over, and the fight's not over. So we got to cross our fingers that we start. Uh, the thing is that we have so many subjects to cover here that it's just, what else can we do? There's only three of us, you know? I need a Calvary. Well, we need share. We need, we, but we, it, it always begins from the bottom up. That's the way liberty works. It's the, it's the brush fires uh, amongst the people who become educated on liberty to the point that they become inspired and motivated, understand that liberty is more important than a paycheck. Liberty is more important than a reputation, and liberty is more important than any than any life that you might have or any comfort you might claim. Well, without you liberty, you may not keep those other things. Independence, pledge, life, fortune, and sacred honor. I mean, that's right. what those things are. Well, yeah, without the, the assurance that you could carry a firearm... The country won't won't remain free. I think the United States is a free country simply because of the tremendous amount of personal firearms in private hands. That even the U.S. military, as powerful it is as it is, understands bloodshed. If they were ever to get tyrannical in my lifetime or our children's yeah. lifetime. Now, Chris, and I think there is one uh, positive uh, movement for liberty in Florida, and that is that the legislature has approved uh, getting rid of the Constitutional Revision Commission. So oh, well, I think that's fantastic. Can we undo all the damage they did in the last election, declaring right. null and void now? Yep, that's... I mean, seriously, I, I just, I'm well, glad that that's, that's gone. Can they, uh, you know... Well, I mean, the biggest offense in this election was the only thing Dade County had ever done right was to have our election supervisor appointed by the mayor, so he had skin in the game on who he appoints there, and they want us to have... Uh, an elected uh, election supervisor. Well, yeah. That's blasphemy. Well, it's disgusting. The whole go. state forced Dade County to have a well, tre- We no longer understand what it means to be republic in government, and that's not the Republican Party. That's the style of government. I mean, I'm at, you, don't, you realize. the danger of democracy. So. Well, imagine a Brenda Snipes in Dade County. His name will be Pepe Sanchez, and uh, he'll be a Latino, volatile temperamental freakazoid, and he'll get moody, and our elections are, will start becoming suspect. 
Because yeah. here there's a very fractious politics. I mean, come on, we are we are fractions, right? Yep. Yes or no? We are factions like factions are factions. Yep. <laughs> and for the state to impose because of the stupid revision committee that was established, what, in the 60s? 68 with the Constitution. And with all the different parties that get to Time be a to member? get rid of it. My God, Supreme Courts get choices, the Democrats get choices, the governor gets choices, Republicans get choices. Christian, I was in touch with, uh, I've been in touch with Jim Callinger, who's been leading the fight to get rid of the commission. And also, I've been in touch with Jose Felix Diaz, who was a member of the commission. And Jose said that he agreed with getting rid of it. Yeah, because he knew, standing there, he knew it that nobody work. got, nothing got done. It didn't work, and it was so complicated. Hey, you guys have a, a senator down there uh, near Miami by the last name of Pizzo. Oh, Pizzo, yeah. He's creating you know, a stir. put forward Senate Bill 1310. Uh, we covered that on the Chris Ann Hall Show, too. Uh, Senate Bill 1310. Yeah, yeah, you can't even show a firearm in, a, in an Instagram post. Yeah, so your children, now this is geared to minors. Minors can, not, uh, according to Pizzo, minors should spend up to a year in jail for posting uh, pictures on social media of guns, BB guns, air rifles, or anything that resembles a firearm. He believes that if they post it on social media, they should be criminally punished uh, for gun violation laws. Well, what happens to the... Uh, to a year in prison, and then the parents well, I'm guilty. of that child... Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out here. Parenting school. What happens when uh, I go to the shooting range with my minor daughter, and I kind of show off how what a good shot she is, and she's there with a with a 9mm Beretta blasting away at a target with her headphones on, or earplugs on. No, actually, they're actually her headphones. And so I go to jail now? Is that no, it? No, no, you don't go to jail. Your daughter goes to jail. Because they, I can't prove that I posted it as opposed to her posting. This guy's a right, Democrat exactly. senator from Miami Beach. She goes to jail. So it's not you. You have to go to parenting classes, but your daughter goes yeah. to juvenile detention for up to a year. He doesn't even suggest that it should be a second-degree misdemeanor or a civil infraction, which would be less jail time or no jail time at all. He immediately wants this to be equated to the possession of a firearm in public as a first-degree misdemeanor punishable by a year in jail. Unbelievable. Well, well. What can I tell all you? All very believable. It's all believable. This guy's a Democrat from Miami Beach, right? Yes, he is. He's a Democrat from Miami Beach. But well, you got to realize once again, it's the Republicans who signed the gun laws into into uh, legality here in in Florida. And who's to say that some lesser degree of this piece of legislation will not go through at the at the uh, permission of the of the Republicans? Now, well, do you think uh, was was this after Parkland? Was it a reaction? Yeah, it was just recently. No, it's just just recently. Just well, I know the I know the Pizzle was just recently, but about what about the change that you talked about with the NRA? Was that also uh, as a result of Parkland, or did that happen before? Oh, to the Commissioner of Agriculture. Yeah, that transfer. Uh, that was before. That was before, so it wasn't a reactionary. It was a. Uh, no. It was a uh, pre-calculated well, ridiculousness. This explains everything. Senator Pizzo was uh, born in New Jersey, and he brought yeah. all his bad ideas down here. Yeah, he was. He went to law school. He went to school in New York. He graduated from University of New York. Oh, that means he drank the public water. See, I have yep. an issue with the public water. It's very I good. believe that this 
sense of status, liberalism, bipolar, political bipolar stuff, it's in the water up there. <laughs> I don't doubt it. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Awesome. And well, I asked I, this of all. Yesterday it, we had the it, pleasure of uh, going to the Alexander Hamilton uh, ex, uh, display of uh, original artifacts and documents at Nova Southeastern University. And some guys from New York came to approach us because Ed and all were Ed and I were recognized by the the event speaker. And these people uh, were one was a professor of ethics and philosophy in Boston. And I said, "You don't drink the public water there, do you?" And he cracked up. He goes, "I don't. I'm conservative in Boston." Uh oh. <laughs> so he kind of agreed with. Apparently, that joke's been floating around up there too. Well, Alexander Hamilton was a New Yorker, so he was a very conservative guy. You know, do, uh, can we honestly say that these founders uh, were real conservatives? Uh, well, how will they, we define that to no, the audience? They were conservatives in the sense that they were very suspicious of government yes. and, and overreaching government on both power, sides of the aisle. And they also were suspicious of human nature. They were Christians, and so they believed in original sin. They thought that it was not perfectible yeah. very much. So those are the two elements. That, I agree. Of, of contemporary conservatism. We're not getting better or worse. No, we're, we're just <laughs> e, you know, evil people if you leave us alone. <laughs> what Certainly do you think, Chrisanne? Are you in a, a, agreement that uh, we really don't get better or worse? We just stay the same but more sophisticated at it? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I see, I see a, a decline yes. in the morality of, of, of government that is actually... Uh, I, somehow driven by a decline in morality of the people. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think uh, we hand it over. Depending more on government to do things for well, them. Well, we asked our government to uh, educate our kids. That Every, was immoral to begin with. All sorts of things. Yep. Why would we ask the government to educate our kids back in the in the turn of the century? And we did. We created the public school system. It's over from that moment on. I'm amazed it took this this much time to to hur uh, to to hurry and basically create a, a desensitized society where manners, etiquette, eloquence are secondary to give me now, give me when, and give me always. <laughs> and that's basically it. We just, our kids just want things. And in the end, it's our fault because I personally, I'm 54 years old and I call out very loud and I believe that my generation is the worst set of parents thus far. And I'm, I'm Yeah, conformist. Yeah, so we teach them what to think and not how to think. Yeah, that that goes back to that rule that I want people to seriously consider what makes us this way. And a lot of people are not pointing to the multiple choice exam as I am. And I believe the multiple choice exam at all levels is exactly that, uh, an indoctrination tool to not search, not seek, and not be uh, curious to find the answer, except the three or four answers are given to you. If not, Choose all of the above. Now, Chris, Chris Ann, last uh, last November or so, the Washington Compost did a story on you. Have you been corrupted by all this uh, media attention? <laughs> I don't even remember the media attention. Oh, come on. <laughs> what was the gist of the article? No, they were just saying that she is a, like a full-time, 200 days a year uh, educator on constitutional law and issues. Yeah, no, he said hard. compost. Well, that's what it's called. He confused you with the Washington Compost instead of the Washington Post. 
ago. Um, yeah, I, I, it was a very interesting article, actually, you know, because they had the Southern Poverty Law Center chime in on on their opinion of me, and we all know what the Southern Poverty Law Center has to think about me. So, Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center is neither Southern nor poor nor law-abiding, so I wouldn't worry about what they said. Alabama, so no, I that doesn't make them southern. southern. They're, they're, they're aliens in Birmingham. <laughs> right, 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 right. Wow. So th- th- this is, uh, yeah, this is going from bad to worse. Then, well, you know, you know what that means. You guys offered me up a segue to talk about the public school, and I'm not in the mood. Oh no. Yeah, because if we don't rent the public school, I was speaking to. Are you familiar with someone uh, up in the center of the state named uh, Keith Flurry with the Florida Alliance for Education? Flaw, flaw. Yeah, with Florida. Um, Florida Alliance, something Education yeah. Alliance. Yeah, yeah, they are they are uh, a pretty pretty strong bulldogs against Common Core and the restoration of the curriculum back to the to the power of the people rather than through bureaucrats. Well, I told them that for them to achieve any of those issues and 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 those platform items, if they want to get that messaging across. They're going to have to put parents into the, grab the bull by the horns, let the parents run the actual schools financially. Otherwise, all these curriculum ideas of getting rid of Common Core will be really slow. And I told them flat out, you know, your approach is very slow boat to China. If the parents aren't running these public schools, literally one school at a time through intra-school votes, where the, the state of Florida funds the school through the parents on a, basically the a governing board of parents, uh, saving surpluses and reducing the amount of school bonds that go out to the public every 20 years, uh, you guys will never have a chance to really rid yourself of Common Core. It'll stay in these bizarre ways. They'll just change the name of them as they, as they you know, they did change the name of Common Core in a lot of states so that you wouldn't know it was Common Core. Right. They were, they were but here in Florida, the governor has specifically said we're going to get rid of it. Okay, but guess what? How about if he goes through two terms as governor, and it's still not it's rid. It's still not done. Okay, yeah. And that's what I see happening. If you don't put parents in control of the actual funding of the school by taking these schools back through the inter-school uh, votes that I'm suggesting in the Governing School Act, uh, I told him, you know, uh, with all due respect, Mr. Flaw, a uh, kind of dubious name now that, it, now that it's properly pronounced, and I said, uh, you know, it's a slow boat to China. You're, uh, you're, you told yeah. me he was a retired IBM executive, correct? No. Someone told me he was an IBM uh, executive, and I think that it was the person who put me in touch with him. So he's already in an advanced age. He was, he's going to run out of gas himself. Right. Now, Chris Ann, I'm, I'm looking at your, uh, some of your recent posts, and one that I find really interesting was something that came up last week in the congressional testimony. It, so, it turns out that Lisa Page, who was a lawyer at the FBI, has said that the Department of Justice, which at that time was Attorney General Loretta Lynch, specifically said that Hillary Clinton would not be charged. And it seems to me that uh, the whole problem in that uh, in, in, in the investigation of Hillary really goes to the tone at the top. That's the principle in corporate compliance. You know, whenever you're investigating a corporation for some wrongdoing uh, overseas or bribery, you always look at tone at the top. What kind of tone was a CEO setting? And I think that the problem with the Obama administration was the tone that he was setting. And as a result, it was it, it's clear that they were not going to charge uh, Hillary with a crime, no matter what anybody at the FBI said. Do you agree with that? Well, I think that 
tone of the Obama administration. I think that it's more of the, the power that the uh, Clintons hold uh, over uh, a lot of people, uh, not just here in America. I mean, here, the Clintons hold a great deal of power all over the world. And uh, that kind of political power never goes down easy. And so what you have is a, a collaboration between some very high powers, being Loretta Lynch, some even say Barack Obama being in that, yeah. uh, to protect Hillary Clinton yeah. from, from criminal prosecution when right. it was clear by the statute. We covered this at the time at the Christian Hall Show. Uh, clear by the statute that Hillary Clinton uh, did commit a crime. As yep. a matter of fact, so clear that because, uh, there are actually people in uh, service members who are in Leavenworth right, right now serving sentences right. for the, violating the very same statute that Hillary violated, but to a much lesser degree. Right. And so what we really have here is evidence from this testimony that um, that there, there is a huge conspiracy, which is which I mean that not in the the theory sense, but in a uh, criminal sense, to aid and abet Hillary Clinton's crime on the on the case of Loretta Lynch, on the case of these prosecutors, because if you if you hide or shield someone from criminal prosecution, by law you become accomplice to their criminal act. And so just one more reason why Loretta Lynch should be in jail and why these federal prosecutors should be prosecuted themselves, and even Barack Obama. Yep. And it's also another evidence why Hillary Clinton should still be impeached. A lot of people don't know that uh, Hillary Clinton, even though she's not in office, but that these crimes were committed while she was in office are still grounds for impeachment, which is a very valuable thing because we don't want Hillary Clinton to hold office anymore. Oh, that's a very good point. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think the, the cowardly uh, House of Representatives that we had with the Republicans last uh, session wouldn't have done that, and this House isn't going to do it. So we'll see what happens with the new House. Well, but you know, that really sort of makes them uh, complicit in yes. all of this as well. Because absolutely. Because that came out was uh, yeah. that it's coming out is a testimony, as a transcript of a, of a testimony given to Republican House members. Right. So before all of this became, a, you know, public to us last year, these Republican House members knew that the Department of Justice was told by Loretta Lynch and the higher-ups that yes, even though Hillary Clinton has committed a crime, we're not going. You're not going to charge them, whether you want her, whether right. you want to or not. And these Republican House members, um, uh, Trey Gowdy, and I can't remember the name of the other guy. And now we have Lindsey Graham good, coming out yeah, and good saying that. they right. were aware of this testimony, but said nothing to the public as the media went on their lie campaign about what was happening behind well, closed doors. Well, well, that's why I have the term that the FCC won't let me say, so I'll say, wussy rhinos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pusillanimous. That's the word. That's the long version of yep. that word, pusillanimous. Yep. Absolutely. It means, yeah, pusillanimous means cowardice to the point of revulsion. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it, in, in my reading of this and with my experience in corporate compliance, I think it goes to the top. I think it, Obama, at the very least, knew what was going on. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they, there you can find emails where he was informed. I think there was an email where Lisa Page said that, you know, the the chief uh, wants to know what's going on. And yeah. I think some of his advisors, like Valerie Jarrett, would, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But nobody wants to take him on. Well, I want to thank you guys for having me on the show again this this uh, day. It's, it's really, really fun. I want to thank you guys for carrying the Christiane Hall show. Yeah, let the, our audience ha- uh, must know that uh, after we do the Concrete Conservative and also in the afternoons of Sundays, the Chrisanne show, all her podcasts are archived on our site and they run live from 8 o'clock Sometimes all the way to midnight, depending on what my webmaster has done uh, based on the time of your shows. Because sometimes your show goes an hour, and sometimes it goes a little bit more than thirty minutes. Correct? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So well, we I try to do the math so actually, that we actually broad, we actually record a show uh, five days a week. So uh, your webmaster, it's all five shows. Right. So, so what we try to do is sometimes give our audience straight. Chris and the, a, a huge block of time where you get three to five shows all at once, back to back to back to back, so that people can hear you oh, sometimes for an hour and a half to two hours. Right, and all the shows I know are archived on your website because I because Christensen uh, uh, and I work together to make sure that happens. Fantastic, yes. Yeah, so it's wsqfradio.com without the forward slash. That's where you can hear the you can get to the homepage to get to the archives and then of course you want to hear us live then it's forward slash live so wsqfradio.com forward slash live in your car wsqf 94.5 and uh you know uh uh it's a shame we kind of have people call you you don't accept any call-ins at all during the christian it's just you and your husband just talking away we do uh we're probably i don't know about accepting call-ins right uh, but but the, we're going to be doing more and more uh, interviews. Well, we're, in, we're, we're hoping and praying uh, that the Lord will open the door for us to do more and more interviews this year. Uh, we have a... Well, then you need a marvelous Ed Vidal to do that, because yeah, well, he we can have, get people uh, to call here like it's going out of style. Yeah, yeah. We actually have um, uh, access to a studio... Uh, opening to us in May, so we're hoping to be able to actually have uh, scheduled interviews with other people, so people can get some uh, some more education, not just from us, but yeah, from, from other intelligent sources out there. there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're welcome to come visit us down here in sunny South Florida. Oh, okay. Well, what we need to do is we need to do through the station is is organize a a series of training events there so that we can uh, educate the public. Well, I've given your name... And get some liberty movements going. I've given your name to the uh, several of the Republican Women's Club, and I know that the Federated Republican Women of North Dade is looking at inviting you to come down and and talk. Oh, well, that would be fantastic. I just finished speaking to the uh, Republican Women's Federated of Orange County this just this past week. So great. we have a great time with the women. Well, be- well, best of luck to you, and hopefully you'll be calling back soon. Yes, sir. God bless you guys. We'll Thank talk you. to you later. Take, take care. Bye-bye. All right. That's always a fresh of breath, a fresh, uh, a breath of fresh air.
Yeah, she's really very active. She's one of the leaders. In and the, sharp, yeah. and understanding the law, and does a lot of the homework for us so that we can understand it. She does a lot of the basic groundwork, absolutely. She's a now, real, what is uh, it about your voice? Uh, were you out too late I, at night? I think it was all those cigars you gave me yesterday. I think exactly that. You smoke <laughs> one cigar, and you and, and you I have sound, a rough I, voice, right? You sound like a running old fifth grader. Oh, my absolutely. God. But that was a great day yesterday, going up to uh, Broward County, and I was... Out in the lookout, it's a very, uh, very tough county, I think, and uh, and well, it's a- really cool, and we must give credit where credit is due. Yep, that the library we were in serves also as a public library so yes. in a private university. Alvin so it Sherman. goes to show you. It's not a private university. It's a it's a public sector university. Nova, Nova Southeastern. Yeah, that's what Adam Levinson told me. It's a it's a county uh, connected university. So what? Why? Well, how, why come? Why wouldn't they have called it a community college? I don't know. It's not a community college. It's a university. I understand it's a university, but I'm really taken aback that it's not part of the Florida uh, State University I have no system. Idea. Well, no, if you notice, the University of Florida has an agricultural extension right there, and Florida Atlantic too. <coughs> right. So that's uh, so. You think of the association is public because they obviously receive public funds. Well, it's what it's what Adam told me that they are not a private sector university, which is what I thought from which their high name. tuition private sector. You mean right? Oh, to keep the tuition down, you're saying. And it's pretty much a commuter uh, school because it, it doesn't have, have some dorms, very few. Yeah, very which few. I haven't seen. But I and also the, the nice. dolphin facilities there. Which one? The Miami Dolphins practice out of there. Oh, okay. Well, there. And do they have a football team? Huh? No, <laughs> they don't have a quarterback. I know that. I don't know a well, football team. The dolphins team. don't have a quarterback. Well, the dolphins aren't really a football team right now. Oh, okay. They're in transition. Into what? They're becoming fish. Uh, rugby, I suppose. Rugby. Okay. Taking they're... off the face masks. Because, you know, they don't hit anybody, so there's no need. Most of the Dolphin players wear makeup. So, you know, I'm a season ticket holder since 1970, so I can say what the hell I want about the Dolphins. Yep, they're not too good. Because I pay to play. Well, it was interesting. It was really fun to go up there and uh, to go to this event, a lecture by Adam Levinson, who does uh, Statues and Stories from 7 to 8 p.m. And he recognized WSQF Bleak Radio. Absolutely. We got a chance to stand up and give our call letters and all that. Well, you so stood up and good. started giving a full, you wanted to take over Adam's. No, I did not power. want to do that. You stood up there and you, that attorney of you. All the, uh, all the you were trying to give closing argument immediate. Admit it. No, no, I was just being uh, uh, a executive uh, producer. But in all the uh, publications and books about uh, Hamilton and the maps, very interesting. And this is a, this is a uh, show that goes on until April 15th. Oh Can't wait a minute! Say. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn off his mic. He's starting to he's starting to burp, and he's oh, chucking up in there. This no, cigar no, no. he's blaming it on the cigar, but it's got to be something more than that. It's it's probably more than the cigar. But the the interesting thing when I first I saw, think you're drinking schnapps. No, I was schnapps. not. Drink, I wasn't drinking anything. So when I was uh, the first the first thing I saw was Alexander Hamilton immigrant, and being an immigrant from the Caribbean like Alexander Hamilton, I thought, what does that mean today? Well, when you look at Alexander Hamilton, he was an immigrant, but he was a lawful immigrant. He went from one British colony, Nevis, to another British colony, New York, and he did it lawfully. You he know, that is so, that, I mean, you, that's the second swim. time I hear that, okay? That is yeah. kind of pious, okay? No, 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 no. When you consider, you, consider, you, you know, you're absolutely right, but in context, but please. That's, why, that's w- why they did it. That's why they call him Alexander Hamilton immigrant, like to try to take the high ground. Like, how can we be so mean to these immigrants? Well, he was a different kind of immigrant. He was a lawful immigrant. But you can honestly say that was 
kind of like yes, they circumstantial. Did that you no, think, they did that on purpose. You think Alexander Hamilton intentionally came to the United States only because it was a legal way no, of... No, no, no. He, he came because he went to college in New York. Okay, so, so that was just it. But normal. No, but he came lawfully, which is very different from today's immigrants. The reason his immigrant status was highlighted as the first thing is that the people who organized that event wanted to highlight that he's an immigrant. So how can we be so mean to immigrants today when here we have this great immigrant? Well, he was, a, I'll tell you, there are three things that Although make, he could just go, make he could just different. go to SpaceX. That, he's there, an immigrant, too. He came right. in legally. There are three things that make him different from today's illegal immigrants. Number one, he came lawfully. Number two... Remember, guy, ladies and gentlemen, Elon Musk is not an American. And he came to America because it's only here that he could... Where is he from? South Africa. Oh, okay. And he came here. So he came lawfully and voluntarily. And built Tesla because he knew he could build it here. And he was an investor in, in some other... And by the way, if yeah. you look into South Africans, you'll find some geniuses in the military sphere, like rockets and missiles, oh, okay, guidance good. systems. South Africans are incredibly uh, advanced when it comes to military technology. That's good, because I think their, their republic is coming apart. Because it was re created as a democratic republic instead of a constitutional republic. And right now, the South African legislature is getting ready to vote to take away land from white farmers without compensation. Absolutely. And that's going to cause them to immigrate. But anyway, let me get back to Hamilton, because he is being featured as an immigrant. And as I said, he was a lawful immigrant. But he also, he did not come here to collect welfare. Back in the Ellis Island days, one of the requirements of letting in immigrants was that they will not become a charge on the public. They will not go on welfare. They will not go on the dole or public assistance. That's not the case anymore. That's gone. Half of all immigrants, legal and illegal, are on welfare. In Texas, 70% of all non-U.S. citizen families are on welfare. That means food stamps, public housing, Medicaid. Public school. Well, public school to some extent. Uh, Obama phones. Wi-Fi in some cases. So that's the second difference. He did not come here to go on welfare. He came here to work and to employ Americans and create Section business. 8 housing, I suppose. That's housing. You guys have Section 8 housing in, in Texas? <coughs> Where? I'm calling it you guys. I'm like excluding you as a Floridian. Yeah, that's you're, right. You're yes, standing sure there with your, with your Texas that's star. A federal, that's a federal uh, statute. So, yes, it, there's all kinds of housing assistance. Okay. But then the third thing is he came to America to become an American. To assimilate. And to create the Department of Treasury. Uh, that was one of the great things. Yeah, and he, the first to float bonds. So watch it. There's no, a slippery slope he there. Did fine. He, he created well, he a, created government debt. He created a very stable U.S. dollar based on silver. Yeah. Not why, the, the, why the first central bank of the United States collapsed and the second. No, no, that was not the central bank. That was a, a, a private sector bank. Be careful. It was not a central bank. Uh, as much as I... It I, was, I, it was a, a pattern after the Bank of England. Oh, and they no. had a 20-year uh, charter. So so he came here to work. He came here to become an American. In fact, he came here to help define... Well, in all fairness, he was paying war, paying down war debt that even the South incurred. Well, no, one of the things he did as Secretary of the Treasury is he consolidated and paid off the war debt from both the Continental Congress and from the various states. And so that created a... <coughs> gave America a good federal credit which we were able to use for the Louisiana Purchase. Uh-huh. So we bought we bought the Louisiana Purchase on on borrowed on borrowed money? 
Well, whether it was borrowed or not, we had the money, but we were able to get it. And that was because of Hamilton's good management of the U.S. Treasury right from the start. Well, it was more because Napoleon was broke. Because <laughs> you'd think that deal would have been consolidated if, no, if Napoleon was in the middle of a losing battle? No, he was, he was eager to sell because he wasn't going to invade North America. So he figured he'd get some money from there and use it for it to invade Europe. Yeah, it made more sense. And see his boyfriend over there in Chateau Lafitte over there. And what do you mean boyfriend? Come on. You don't think Napoleon was gay? I think he was gay. Absolutely not. So th- those are the examples of how Alexander Hamilton was a different kind of immigrant. And the immigrants that we have coming now are not that kind of immigrant. And I think we're, we're right to say that they have to come lawfully. They have to come and not go on welfare. And they have to come and become Americans. Not like you became and I became right. Like well, I didn't uh, became. I was. No, no, you were born here, but you can be born here and not be an American. Well, yes, if you reject, that's up, it's up for grabs. If you don't respect the flag, if you kneel for the flag, you're not an American. Uh, even if you're born here, even if you're a natural born. Citizen. Oh, guess what? Uh, uh, Cranky Frankie told me, and he uh, our sports uh, talk show. Yeah, our soggy. Soggy Bacon and Burnt Egg, Fr- Cranky Frankie, who was on here just before we are. I didn't know this. He informed me. I had to stand down because I was getting ready to rip into this kneeling open before the flag and how cowardly the owners were and all that. And he goes, hey. <clears throat> and I go, what? And he gave me very assertively, it's in the labor well, sure. contract. Be- well, because- Non-violent protests are legal in the employment well, contract. Okay, so they're not legal in the NBA. Well, the NBA, uh, Mr. O'Brien, right. you told me you Commissioner fo- O'Brien n- cut that out. But in the N- in the NFL, let's face it, the labor union is uh, not very American. They're not really law-abiding uh, or freedom-loving citizens. They're not flag-respecting. Well, I don't, citizens. I don't think it's I don't think it's that. I think it's just the fact that uh, in, in football, uh, serious uh, minority-driven sport. And therefore, they want to protest nonviolently. So they snuck it in there. So, it's, why so they the want owners? to be non-Americans. I'll tell you why. The commissioner is not much of an American either. Yeah, because his father tried to get uh, vote against Richard Nixon and, and call for his impeachment. I don't know what his father did, but he's certainly win a progressive. The commissioner is a progressive. Roger Goodell's father went after Nixon in uh, right before his second term. It cost him his second term. Roger Goodell's dad. What was Roger Goodell's dad? He was a Republican. Congressman. From uh, where? Uh, good question. Uh, used so he, to, was, he was a progressive Republican. Yes. And there he went after go. Nixon during his reelection campaign. Uh, Nixon, as you know, was reelected, but this gentleman, Mr. Goodell, was not. So you can see where they're, you know. So there's a yeah, lack of those, patriotism yeah, at lack the of leadership That's the at point. both the labor union and the commissioner. Yeah. There you go. That's where Goodell got his upbringing to be a flim flam. He's probably not a Republican. If his, fa- if his father if was a, a half-assed Republican, yeah. he was probably a he's probably a Democrat by now. Who knows? Um, actually, we should uh, you should keep on talking until we can't hear your voice anymore. And I'll <laughs> research Robert Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell because he's not good. Senior? Roger Telltale. Yeah, I'm gonna find out about Roger Goodell to get the the missing pieces of the puzzle. Uh, since you threw me into this tangent, well, uh, we're waiting for a call. What at six oh five? Yep. And this person is unemployed or employed? Could you introduce our second Justin call? Justin Pearson is Justin Pearson. the head of the Institute for Justice uh, here in Miami. They are libertarian public interest litigators. Oh, oh we had we had him here live. He is one of our regular guys. He couldn't come live today, but he's going to be calling in. 
Oh, fantastic. And what's the subject matter? The same thing that we talked to Chris Ann about, constitutional and legal issues that they're working on with a special focus on the administrative state. Yeah, well, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I think I'm the one that tied the knot between the, the concealed carry and the administrative state, and yep. you guys seem to have missed that. <clears throat> really? Why is that? Because you're both attorneys, that's why. Seeing that laymen always have to really scream louder than you all, because sometimes attorneys just don't have the answer. They are the problem. Absolutely. And why don't you guys like go after each other? Only in court you you guys go after each other, and then you party right after the hearing's over. It's all an act. Yeah, it's like this. Uh, you guys, do you guys have like an Oscar nomination award for who acts best in court? I'm sure there is. Statewide. I don't go to court usually, but. Yes. Yeah, so you're a water cooler attorney. You're the most devilish one of them all. Yep. Before you know it, the water's burning. The, you poured hot water into the cold glass, and the person drinks it, and they regret it, and they come out with a voice like yours. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, so this is what's become of conservatism. It's more and more difficult every day. And when I see the Republicans act the way they do, and they, they, they can't even have a sense of urgency when they have both houses of Congress— and do the right thing by the American people, like immediately having a, a plan, for, alternative for Obamacare. To right. not only repeal it, the pre, the president repealed it by himself by taking out the mandate, but it, it's still sitting there. you got to remember, Paul Which, Ryan. Which, by the way, this is a perfect example of what I meant about schooling just about 30 minutes ago, where I told you you can ask the sh- no common core, and yet the, the technicals and the fingerprints and the nail bites and the the fungies and, uh, and the scarring of that type of educational... Uh, curriculum is in our school system already. Well, the same thing with Obamacare. It's passed. The original mandate is gone, yep. yet it's still there. Because I haven't seen my premiums come down after they tripled. They never come back down to how they were before the Obamacare. That's what I'm talking about, well, schooling. I, I know that the uh, several state attorneys general are suing to strike down the law, the entire law, now that the mandate has been removed. Right, because it's unconstitutional. Well, Chief Justice Roberts, in uh, kind of turning a somersault, uh, ruled that it was constitutional because it was a tax. But now that the tax has been removed, how can he rule that it was unconstitutional? And a tax that originated from the Senate, which yeah, is also doubly wrong. Doubly because wrong. Because Harry, uh, Harry, ridiculous Reed slipped it in there out of one of his committees. Right. So that was an example of our Chief Justice putting political expediency over the rule of law. Unbelievable. And that is not good. And uh, eventually, I'll... I think the system is so wired for inefficiency and corruption that people that claim to go into it to fix it uh, on basis of virtues and principles find themselves lost, and they just lose steam, and they just run out of money buying off candidates. And see, the type of corruption in the United States is bizarre because. In the end, you're just maxing out campaign finance, and people run on it, but they don't really they don't really understand the sweat and tears it took for you to have money aside for them, and therefore they think you want a favor, and they just want you to legislate and weed out the corruption. Well, guess what? They think you're corrupt because you just maxed out their campaign. You know, you they think immediately that you're playing by this rule, this transparent, opaque rule um, that at one minute it looks crystal clear you have to operate this way, and at the same time it's opaque because you really don't know what you're going to get from the candidate. 
Is he going to do you a favor or not? And people like me who have no skin in the game financially to demand for the amendment of the parent empowerment law are looking at me saying, why, why is this guy so motivated to do this? And it's based on a vision that if parents take control of the finances of the school, the school's curriculum will change on its own organically among the parents. Sure, they'll fight. Sure, they'll have disagreements. But they won't be bitching at the school board. But you have to have parents who are willing to be involved in the process. That's a given. <clears throat> and guess what? Perhaps the first ones are just cocky, gutsy parents are not very in tune to education. So what? Out. They yeah. do it. They went and did it. And they have the right uh, desires. They, they and they can children. also lean into the accountant, the, the uh, lawyer, right. the psychologist, and an educator say, hey, help me out. Now that you guys chose me for this, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me out for the sake of our children. Well, at least, right. Well, at least they have the right uh, desires. They, have the, they love their children. And guess and what? You're arguing among it. yourselves. Local right. auspice is so powerful. And that's how the nation was formed. It was a homeschool society in the right. early days for a long time. Yep. All the way to 1918 or 12, yeah, when the first teacher called. 1850s. When was the first teacher's call? You corrected me on that on once. Uh, Bozo the Clown, who ran for president. Um, first teacher's college? It was founded by this guy who ran for John president Loss. Dewey. 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 Dewey lost to FDR, right? No, no, he didn't run. He was a professor. No, Dewey ran. No, Tom Dewey was the United States uh, Attorney General of... Uh, he ran against FDR, right? right lost. in 1944, and he ran against Truman. In and no, okay, and there are no relation. No so relation. So I'm, I'm confusing the two Deweys. So the Dewey is the John first. John Dewey was the progressive educator. Right. Who started all the teachers' colleges. But there were teachers' colleges before that. That were called teachers' colleges. Education, the public education, mandatory public education, became an American institution around the middle of the 1800s. And I think Horace Mann was one of the leaders of that. Well, what about what about the general education fund that was right around Woodrow Wilson's time? That was after. That was in the progressive era. But the, the idea that... Well, the Woodrow's uh, 1913. Uh, yeah. The election of 12 to serving right. 13. Correct? So yeah. the idea of that all the kids should be publicly educated was from the 1800s. By the, by the people or by the government? Both. Everybody was in favor of it. Get you know get everybody educated, and that was a well real hell advantage. come on that's that's a pretty much of a given. But I like to know who's the fiend, who are the group of fiends who actually gave it to the government. Okay, so here's a real problem. The problem is the real problem is you just blew into your microphone. There you so go. Everybody in this audience, 165,000 oh, people well, listening, where's the just where's heard the that silence click. Jeez. Okay, so here's the real problem. In Chicago, the Chicago public school teachers were. Organized the teachers' union was organized in the 18, 1930s during the New Deal, 1937. But they were not recognized as the sole bargaining agent until the 1960s. It was during the 1960s that the public sector unions really started taking over the institutions, including uh, government education. And that's where you see a decline in school performance. In the 1960s, when you have all these teachers unions taking over in big city after big city. Yeah, and that took a good uh, two decades for the unions to completely overstep in their 19, boundaries. Well, and also then in, in 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter created the Department of Education. And put it at the cabinet level. And That's well, where he screwed it all up. And at that time, America was like number one nationally in education achievement. 
Now it's like number 17. Yeah, now we're all Jimmy John's. It's because of the uh, unions and their government participation in education. So it can officially can be said that we became a peanut country as of the creation of the Department of Education. Absolutely. Where everybody's got a peanut-sized brain, nobody's curious, no one's resourceful, and, all, and it's the same bright 2% of our children who basically do well in overcrowded conditions with deplorable teachers. Well, not deplorable in terms of Trumpsters. I'm talking about deplorable in terms of striking unionists. And teachers don't even realize the damage they do to their children when they look out the window and see them striking in the streets, not wanting to teach them. Well, It's the saddest thing. And it, that stuff manifests into a cynicism when those kids become adults. Any child that sees a teacher strike must get cynical right then and there. And from that moment on, when that teacher with a damn sign asking for more more pay and safer safer environments in schools as or the fewer pe- kids in the classroom, that's a big big thing. Because that requires that you hire more teachers. Well, it's a constitutional amendment in Florida has been completely <clears throat> ignored. <clears throat> What's that? The uh, class size amendment. In Florida, we have a class size amendment that's never been adhered to. 28 students per class. We'll never get down to that number. The average, the average classroom is probably 40, 40 students or more. And uh, we just can't do that. So once again, I think we'll just, time will tell us how wrong we all are. And it'll be too late by the time it's obvious to everybody. So how about I just, uh, what would you like me to go around, the run around with Blues Traveler until our caller sure, calls? Sure, absolutely. Or do we just go with yep. Pink Floyd's time? You choose. Not Pink Floyd. Not Pink Floyd. Okay, so Blues Traveler. We'll go with Mr. Ed, since he can't breathe and he's blowing his nose in public. We'll just do what he says. Back in a moment.
back with the Concrete Conservative, Ed Vidal. Uh, yep, and we the... have Justin Pearson, who is head of the Institute for Justice office here in Miami. They are leading libertarian public interest litigators, and uh, I, I know one of their big topics is occupational licensing. You're against it, right? You're against yeah, it, I, I suppose. I, I am against occupational licensing, absolutely. Good. Well, why don't you tell us about what you guys are doing in that field? Sure, sure. So, first of all, just in case anyone doesn't know, an occupational license is a government permission slip to work. Uh, it was supposed to originally only apply to people like doctors and lawyers. Um, back in the 1950s, only one in 20 people needed a government permission slip to work. But now it's been so expanded by rent seekers uh, and entrenched interests. It, it, Are you, uh, uh, excuse me, i got to interrupt you. Are you speaking on your speakerphone? Uh, I'm speaking on my cell phone, unfortunately, because I'm on the road right now. Can you hear me okay? No, you're coming in and out, and I think the audience is not hearing you. Uh, if you're, uh, uh, how about lowering your uh, the fan on your on your air conditioning in your car? There... Uh, I'm not in my car. Okay, uh, so uh, you're just moving around. You're just moving quickly somewhere. All right, we'll, yeah, keep, we'll keep on we'll keep on going. I want I'm gonna make sure the audience can hear you because I'm not hearing you too well. Yeah, absolutely. Directly into the phone like this. Okay. Um, so, so basically, uh, occupational licensing is a permission slip to work. It's been expanded far beyond the way it was supposed to be used. Now, over one in four Americans need uh, an occupational licensing uh, of, uh, uh, license to work. Twenty-nine percent of Floridians need this government permission slip to work. And so we've been attacking this problem on behalf of people who just want to live an honest living. Uh, you know, first-generation Americans, second-generation Americans, immigrants, military spouses who get transferred from one state to another, people who are being hurt by this who just want to earn an honest living. Um, we've uh, filed lawsuits both in Florida and around the country, and we've also worked with legislatures to try to reform these bad laws. Wow. Now, what, at what stage of the litigation are you in right now? Well, I mean, it depends which case, but the case in Florida is a case uh, going on in federal court in the Northern District of Florida, going on in, in Pensacola. And basically, the person we're representing there is someone named Heather Del Castillo. She is a health coach. So basically, she, she reminds people to keep a food journal, and they meet with her once a week to kind of keep them on track, and she reminds them to keep their principles. Um, in most places, that's totally fine. You don't need a license to do that. Where she used to live in California, you don't need a license to do that. And that should tell you something, right? If we have a licensing requirement 
that does not even exist in California. Yeah, you know, you know it's got to be wrong. good with. <laughs> uh, but, but she's a military spouse, and so when her husband uh, was uh, transferred from California to Florida, she obviously moved with him. And after uh, starting her business here, the same way she's had it in other states, uh, she got busted for the crime of telling people to eat their vegetables. And so um, we represented her in this challenge, and right now it's still at the trial court stage. Um, but we should get a ruling very soon, within the next month or two, hopefully, uh, finding out whether we won or lost in the trial court, at which point, you know, there will probably be a deal. Is there an administrative agency that's enforcing these things? Yeah, I mean, basically, there, there are a bunch of state agencies involved. Um, and, and what happens is you, you have this, this mission creep where you'll have agencies involved, like dealing with uh, medicine and nutrition, where there's a legitimate role there in some narrow way. But over time, they, they just keep expanding and expanding, you know, the tentacles of government and bringing more and more into the area where no one's allowed to compete with them until you get to the point where if you just remind people to eat their vegetables, you're breaking the law. Um, and so, yeah, it's the Florida Department of Health. They say, you know, it's that she needs to stop doing what every mom has been doing since the beginning of time, which is tell people to eat their vegetables. I, I mean, I mean, help the audience. I, I'm having, if I'm having difficulty, they must be too. I don't see what the offense is. What, what is it? You, why can't you? Well, you need me? a license to do that, a permit from the government to even do that. To even say right, you that. need a license basically because of a nutritionist. You have to go and get an advanced degree in nutrition, a bunch of tests, jump through a bunch of hoops. She's only living in Florida because her house, because her husband was transferred because he's in the military. Even if she wanted to go and jump through those stupid hoops, by the time she finished doing that, her husband probably will have been transferred again, and then she'd have to start all over in a different state. Although hopefully next time she'll be in one of the many states that don't even require this license. Yeah, I it's really heartbreaking because as a proud Floridian, I never think that Florida should be below average when it comes to job creation. We do so many things well in this state, but unfortunately, the issue of occupational licensing, uh, we're worse than most states. We're below average. We have more licensing requirements, worse burdens, uh, and, and we kill we kill jobs because of it. You know, uh, now, how, much is, how much is raised in occupational licensing in terms? of... Oh. I don't think it's a big revenue producer for the state, but it just makes things hard for people. No, but it's got to be in the minds of these stupid bureaucrats that it's making them money. Why Why are they imposing occupational license for everything? No, so that's not it. I mean, uh, Ed's right. It does generate some money, but both, basically that money is just to cover the costs of enforcing the program. The reason these uh, laws exist, the reason, or the re at least the reason they've been expanded beyond their original reason over the last half century, is because what happens is industries go to the state of Florida ask to be regulated because they know that these barriers to competition mean that people won't be able to compete with them. Right. Which, and not only does that allow them to have less competition, but that less competition means they're allowed to increase their price. Right. In some industries, they can overcharge customers 80% because of these unnecessary licenses yeah. that restrict well, competition. Well, Justin, I, I agree with you, and I think part of the reason is that the, in, in Florida, the professions and other industries... Uh, are afraid of all these people moving down here from New York and Connecticut and Illinois and so on. So that's how it started. But it's definitely going out of control. And you're completely right that what they want to do is create barriers to entry so that they can charge more. Like, you know, there, uh, Manny, I think you were lobbying for a licensing requirement to run a hardware store. Isn't that right? That would be that would be devastating. But we do need licenses for certain uh, 
like selling uh, propane gas and, ah, and the like. Go. And if we don't pay it, and the heat a little bit. No one's trying to get more people But Florida now has three hundred and eighty separate licenses. That's too much. Three hundred and eighty separate occupations require an occupational license. Look, uh, I, I, guess, guess what? I, I need you to call back because people are just not hearing you. You're coming oh, in. I'm sorry to hear that. I'll try calling back. Yeah, call, call right back. Yeah, that's good. He's got to call back. But that's Oh, we're sorry about that. He was talking on a cell phone, and sometimes we couldn't hear ourselves. Sometimes we couldn't hear yeah, him. But he's making so I'm assuming a good the point. audience. There's just too many of these occupational re- licensing requirements. Okay, hopefully we got a better line with Justin. Justin, is this you on Blink Radio WSQF 94.5? Uh, you know what? It's uh, uh, you uh, just speak louder. Uh, you sound like your volume is low, but just go ahead and speak louder. But you're not. Uh, it seems like you're not coming in and out. We'll see. Okay. So anyway, I was saying, Manny, Florida licenses 380 different occupations. So only a handful of those are for things like doctors and lawyers or propane tank handlers or, or whatnot. The majority of those are for things that no one really thinks should require a license. Things like hair braiders right. or interior designers or boxing timekeepers or apprentices. Florida has over half a dozen licenses just for someone to start an apprenticeship where they're going to learn from someone else who already has a license. Like These things make no sense. Uh, do you know in Florida it takes ten times as long to become a licensed interior designer as it does to become an emergency medical technician? And it's not because EMTs aren't getting enough training. They are. The problem is the, the burdens and the requirements have nothing to do with protecting the public. It's only about who has the strongest lobbyist. Absolutely. And I think that it's, uh, it, given that Florida is attracting so much business, so many employees, it's really a travesty that uh, people are being hung up with all these. Now, are, are, you, are you doing a two-prong attack? I know you guys always go to court, but what about legislative lobbying? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, first and foremost, I'm a litigator, right? My favorite thing in the world is the government. However, lawsuits take a long time. They're expensive. And so when we can convince legislatures to do the right thing, we love that because that frees up our our time to do other things. And so we go around, and I personally go around and testify at committee meetings and things like that. And what I will tell you is I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that there might be reform this session in Florida. That won't get rid of most of the 380 licenses, but even if we could get rid of a few of them, that would be a good start. And there does seem to be a real push for reform up in Tallahassee. I know Governor DeSantis has made this a priority. Um, the, the Secretary of, of Business and Professional Regulation, Halsey Bashir, he's made it a priority. House Speaker Oliva likes this issue as well. And so there does seem to be a real push from powerful people to get this uh, uh, issue reformed. I was actually invited up a few weeks ago by the chair of the Florida House Business and Profession Subcommittee and gave a long presentation on this issue. And so there does seem to be some momentum. Um, hopefully some real reform will happen. You know, it won't be uh, a huge number of licenses, but even if we were repealed five or ten licenses, it would create thousands and thousands of jobs. And let me give you one example. Uh, a few years ago, we represented a hair braider in Mississippi. Okay? She was an African hair braider. Um, we, we filed a lawsuit against the state of Mississippi, and when that happened, the, the Mississippi legislature responded by repealing the law, which was great. From that one repeal, 
over 3,000 new jobs were created in Mississippi, which is a state one-sixth of Florida's size. And that's just from one license. So when you talk about a bill that can repeal five or ten licenses, these could create over 10,000 new jobs in the state of Florida. Like you don't need to spend a bunch of corporate welfare bringing an Amazon headquarters to the state. All you have to do is reform your licensing laws, and you can create more jobs. Well, especially in hairstyling. My yeah. God. So Let the hairstyler go unemployed because she sucks at cutting hair. Doctors, lawyers. Chiropractors. Chiropractors. Mas- masseuses because they could do some damage if they don't know what they're doing. Oh, come on. Yeah, there's people who are. So that's fine. So guys, man, you know, Mannion Ed lists as many people who you think should really be licensed. And what are you going to get? It's good to like 10 people. 15 people, maybe 20 occupations if you really try. Yeah, you because know, construction you trades. 380 licenses. With the exclusion of... Too many. You don't need a license to be a painter, thank God. Oh, we have to register ourselves with a license, but it's, it's not exam. I remember when I was a well, young kid, I couldn't you know, believe it. Funny I, you mentioned painting. Um, you're right that there's not a state license uh, of the way that I was just talking about, but unfortunately now we're seeing occupational licensing laws created at the state and county level. And there are some counties now in Florida that are requiring a county occupational license to become a painter, including an exam. Um, right. Ours, ours had that when I was uh, in my 20s, but no exam. That's ridiculous. Wow. You thought I should get a, to take an exam on how to paint. No, you shouldn't. Now, is that for all painters or just you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I took it personal. It was just me. They tried to keep <laughs> me out of painting, you know. Uh, well, I would say also crane, uh, crane, crane operator, bulldozer u- uh, users. Uh, well, that's a driver's license, like an advanced, enhanced driver's license. Uh, you know, demolition should they should test. You know, because you're going to be using techniques on how to knock down a wall dynamite, and keep right, it. You right, know, right, you have right. to. Not that, well, the dynamite, uh, it's obvious, but I'm talking about just single family home. You got to protect the two neighbors on both sides. Of you you got to know when, where to push, where to pull, because these things can collapse. Well, on look you. at the guy at FIU bridge. Well, look at that. Well, that was that was another Obama uh, freakazoid uh, imposition. There was some time frame of certain things to happen for them to get uh, DOT dollars, and there was certain uh, uh, unnecessary stress tests during the construction for the integrity of the bridge. And I think they speeded up some of these stress tests. And there was a gentleman who spoke locally to a group of people here locally. They were all structural engineers. And apparently the part that, that the kids should not have been involved with were involved with at the graduate level because they wanted to be say that they had a hand in building the bridge. And it was, a, it was also an entertainment deck. So you talk, you're talking about people who didn't have occupational licenses okay. uh, doing some of the math on stress-related mathematical formulas on how that bridge was going to be poured and how it was going to be designed. And I'm sure they were more likely involved in the design part of it as opposed to the structural part. But somebody, in the confusion of having everybody involved, someone was, during the stress test, ignoring that the little dolly that was testing was moving to the left or to the right at a certain degree without consideration of the span in which it was doing that. So by the time it got to about more than half of the span, it created a, a, a bizarre stress on one of the sides of the bridge, man, and it just cracked, and then the whole thing came down. And it's seconds, you know. And uh, so, okay, there you got one more there. Now, which, which really unique, ridiculous occupational trade that we have here in Florida that is so ridiculous you want to tell our audience? Well, you know, I mentioned hair braiding. Yeah, uh, that's pretty yeah, impressive. I, that's probably... 
probably the most ridiculous one. We have one. Uh, we have a hair braiding one too here. Yeah, we do, and, and it's even worse than that. I'll explain that in a second. But first, I should point out that half of the states don't require a hair braiding license because it, it makes no sense. Most cosmetology schools don't even teach hair braiding. Here in Florida, not only do we have a hair braiding license, but it's written in a way I've never seen anywhere else. Florida has an exemption from the cosmetology license for hair braiding. Oh my but only, for, but only for Caucasian braiders, not for African American braiders. Oh my God, is so, that so racial or what? About what? American Indian bra- braiders, the Mikasuki. Right, so, so, so the way it works is most <coughs> African American braiders use these things called wefts, which are just colored pieces of decorative string. No one thinks they hurt anybody. And so what happened was about half a century ago, when Florida passed the exemption from the cosmetology license for hair braiding. They put in there that you can't get the exemption if you use a weft. It was basically just a proxy for African Americans. It, it's outrageous. And so for years now, we've been trying to get this reformed so that the hair braiding exemption actually applied to all hair braiders. But every year we try to do it, the for profit cosmetology schools kill it because they don't care that the law is racist. All they care about is maximizing their students. They want the government to order people to attend their school, which usually takes about a year and can cost over $10,000. That is unbelievable. That's the kind of stuff we need to hear all the time on this show because that outra- that's yeah, just that's, so that's ridiculous. annoying. I know that in New York uh, State, uh, University of Rochester and one of the local colleges in Rochester lobbied with the legislature so that uh, in order to be a registered nurse, you had to have a, a BA degree. You couldn't you know just work, learn on the job. And that's right. that's what happens sometimes that you know you know institutions like universities, schools of whatever, they require that you you have to get their certificate. That means four years, pay the full tuition for four years before you can even do something that you could be trained on the job to do. No, you're absolutely right. And not not only does it cause you know people who are just trying to learn a, earn a living, you know, to, to waste their time and to waste their money, but for many people, it's an impenetrable barrier. It's an obstacle they can't overcome. You know, I get calls from people who say, listen, I'm a single mom. I can't, I have mouths to feed. I can't take off right. a year from work to go to some cosmetology school that doesn't even teach the thing I want to do. And so what happens is they just end up not pursuing that occupation at all, and it's heartbreaking. Or they do it without the license, and that's a risk. Well, that's, that's true, too. You're absolutely right. Of course, just when you ban something, just, just banning something doesn't make it go away. And so then what happens is you, you, you push these people into the shadows, which isn't good for anyone. Now, is there a, a shoe-shining license? No, man, you can do yeah. that. I can do that yeah, one? I, I'm, not, I'm not aware of a shoe-shining license, and I probably would be. So I think it's safe to say that it doesn't exist in Florida, thank God. Wow, because, you know, Manny's shoe shine sounds pretty cool. There are hardly cool. any shoe shines in, in Miami where you can sit on the stand and have your shoe shine. In, in New York yeah, City, yeah. you go to Grand Central and you get all these shoe stands. There's nothing like that in Miami. You know, you know there used to be. one like that in my building in what? downtown Miami. What, yeah, what, in, the what? Old, in the old Centros building, correct? Yeah, I'm right next door to the SunTrust building. I'm in, I'm in one Biscayne Tower, and if you go down to the lower level. Oh, that's right, in the, in the corridor there. Yeah, there's there's a there's a shoe shine, an old fashioned shoe shine guy. All right, good to know. Yeah, it's a, it's very cool. Uh, my father was a really spirited about shoe shining. So you we, don't see that in Miami. Yeah, you don't. In 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 New York, you can go to Grand Central, and, and they have a plethora of those folks. Yeah, and then in Houston, and professionals. Hell, the downtown in Houston is connected by all these underground tunnels, so there's shoe shine people there. Yeah, man, it's uh. That's a trade that should be on the up and up because 
There's too many. There's no, too I, many ugly shoes out there. There, well, in Miami, everybody just wears sandals. I remember to, to go out on a date. I had to cr- cross my dad to get outside of the house, and he would be looking down at my shoes. And if my Make shoes sure were in spit shine, he'd be send or, me right or, back to or my if room. You're going on a deal, you know, you're gonna pitch a product or something. Yeah, and remember, we're very fashion conscious here, but the guys aren't. The women are. They, they would never go out with a scuff on their shoes, so we shouldn't either. We really should. All right, I'll remember that one Biscayne Tower basement. It, no, it's not basement. It's a corridor in the Biscayne Tower, correct? Well, it, it, I, I mean, I call it the basement. You have to go down the stairs. If you go into the main lobby of the building, yes. you can go downstairs, and there's like a little mall down there with like a restaurant. and. and okay. Oh, so you're correct. It is basement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what's and, the building that I'm thinking of? It's right between the uh, one bay from Plaza, I think it has. It, uh, it's just a corridor that goes from um, that right turn on Biscayne. At the end of Biscayne, you make the right turn to get to the expressway. That corridor goes right through there. What's that building called? It had a, it had a Ross for Less in it. It was a granite building. It's an older building. Oh, I, I remember the building you about, but I don't know what it's called. Yeah, that corridor also had a shoeshine guy. And he was good. His name was uh, Minnie. And these guys were all licensed? I, 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 apparently not, but that's why oh, I okay. asked the question. Because, I, man, that's a, a, a beautiful trade. I, I think people should take pride in shiny well, shoes. Well, when, when my father came from Cuba in 1966, he had his pharmacy degree from the University of Havana. And he shoe shined. And he did not shoe shine. That's a Cuban story, man. No, Make up the story. No, no. Embellish the story. They, Freak the, it, dog. The, the Florida Pharmacy Board wouldn't even let him sit for the exam. So we moved to, I grew up in Chicago. So you went up there for that reason? Yeah, he got a job there. And uh, eventually he went to New York. He passed the, the pharmacy exam in New York. And he got reciprocity in Illinois, but no reciprocity in Florida. You know, reciprocity is when you're admitted in one state, you can go to the other state. You think he'd be making marijuana oils now if he were alive? Well, I don't know. I'm sure it would be. <laughs> <laughs> See how I put him on the spot? Could be. Oh, God. Only for medicinal so, uses. Know, that's a perfect example, right, guys? I mean, that's someone who was qualified, was willing to take the test to prove that he was qualified, but wasn't allowed to do it in Florida because the concern in Florida wasn't really protecting the public. And I'm not saying that pharmacists shouldn't be licensed, but, but even in situations where a license should exist, it needs to be tailored towards protecting the public, not just keeping out competition for no good reason. Right. Well, I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I don't think lawyers should be licensed. I think you guys yeah. should just go out, and if you've got your shoes shined, you got a fancy suit, you and should be smile. able to go and represent whoever the hell you want. And let, well, hey, let I, I, Some of these lawyers I meet, uh, I wouldn't trust them to shine my shoes. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because that's a, a, a natural theme all throughout the course of the Concrete Conservative, because at one time, before Ed showed up, the Concrete Conservative was kind of like quicksand, you know, sinking quickly by myself here, rambling on my own until Ed showed up. And, and you, you know, ramble I was, with me. Yeah, and I was blasting attorneys the whole time, so there's been less uh, slamming of attorneys here since Ed is one and all his guests are. But I still got to defend the common man. And I think, quite frankly, I should be able to hire the hell I want to go into court. Exactly. Well, and look at it this way, right? If I lose, that's my fault. Heavily, right. heavily regulated with every state requires some sort of license for a lawyer. And look how bad lawyers are. That's right. I should be able to lose and blame someone who was completely incompetent because I feel that way whether you have a license or not. Well, one, one thing you could do is you could say anybody can sit for the bar exam regardless of whether they went to law school. California and it should be a curve. That. So whoever gets the best grade at the bar exam, they should average the curve so that everybody passes the damn exam. Well, 
Whatever. You know, in the old days, you used to learn from doing an apprenticeship. Right. And I personally think people learn much more from that than from sitting in a classroom. And but but you know because of the licensing requires requirements and the and the the barriers of competition that were created, now you have to go to law school. I can tell you, you know, I spent three years in law school at the University of Miami, which is a perfectly fine law school. But I use very little right. of what I learned in law school. Everything I, I do now, I learned after I became a lawyer. Law school was just a hoop you had to jump through. And of and course, a temperament in court can only be learned by by litigating. By going to court. Exactly. You're you're exactly right. And you learn those skills usually after you become a lawyer. Now, thankfully, I think law schools are increasing the number of internship programs and externship programs so that people can actually learn things when they're in law school a little right, bit. Right, right. But other, other than those uh, externship programs, you know, you don't use a lot of what you learn in the classroom in law school. Yeah, there's, a, the there, law works. there's a strong push for, especially in the third year, to provide a lot of practical... Law clerking. Well, in, in, the, in the law school itself, give them more practical, hands-on experience so that they can hit the ground running when they graduate. Personally, I would do that the second year and just get rid of the third year, but that's me. Yeah, but, you know, their, their, their business models are based on three years of law school. Now, how much, how much of the bar exam is uh, multiple choice exam? Because I have a multiple choice. It's one day multiple choice, one day of uh, Essay? essays, usually. And then yeah, no... Kind of. I mean, it's not exactly set up that way because it's one day for Florida and one day for interstate, but uh, or, or, or the multi-state, they call it. But Ed's right that it's divided between between multiple choice and essays. Because I have this theory that I wrote about in my book that the multiple choice exam is what's made us so stupid because we don't, we're not curious anymore, we're not resourceful anymore, and we don't have the coping skills that our forebears had. When problems arise, you need to resolve the problem. But if you're educated in a multiple choice environment throughout from kindergarten all the way to bar exam, what happens is you don't really seek a good answer in your head. Well, you're offered a well, good answer. But that's why the other half of the exam is uh, essays. And it's supposed to like write. Balance things off. Yeah, so now you walk out with just a headache and you're still no, stupid. No, but the multiple choice is more for objective knowledge. Yeah, or object this, the, objective know, this, okay? Yes, but and then the essays where you explain... Because I believe in the multiple choice exam, it's more of a game of trivial pursuit and a game of... Uh, gaming the system. Gaming the system and also trickery. Like when I took the real estate <laughs> exam, and I'm definitely not an academia because I didn't do well in school at all. So that's probably why I'm saying this more than anything else. Let, let the audience under... That's my disclaimer. But the truth is that sometimes I had a better answer than the one that was offered to me, and it caused confusion. Right. Because my answer that I thought was... Was not in there. It was not in there, well, exactly. Well, you got to pick one of the answers I in had there. to pick a now, medial... Now, let me ask you, what about real estate brokers and I wouldn't mortgage? license them for diddly. Right, anybody Anybody should, should broker, right. anybody should know a value of a piece of real estate, make comparable so, sales, learn the, te- the trade so of... So what does that do? I mean, do you have to take Ethics, it? it's, all, it's, it's so they can take your license away... If you did something unethical. But is there like a course that you have to take? To... Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a brain-dead course. How long does it take? It, as I would say you're about uh, 17 weeks, and there's another one that you can do in less time. And so there's a multi-week course. You go to... Monday through Friday and do it in like in two weeks, and then you're ready for the exam. Two weeks, and then you can't be working. It's full-time. And then yeah, you that, the, you're not nine to five, and, and then that, you take and, the exam. Then you take their their exam at the school, and then the state exam. The state exam is much more appealing now because you take it when you're ready. You go and you take it. So is my, that really, in my case, I had to wait for the date to sit is for that the exam. Really necessary to not zero. 
And there's Zero. also the mortgage broker uh, license, which is there, separate. There, I would, I would not do a. Li- I would do a licensing in order to be able to take it away from you if you do something unethical, because kind of money is contaminating. That's the point. Money's contaminating, but I don't think there should be an exam. It should be just a registration, fingerprints. Well, but for example, you talk about money. You know, bank officers or bank trust officers, corporate trust officers. They're not licensed. They're not licensed. They're handling money all the time, and they're, and they're giving out loans on handshakes. And they're you know private pri- uh, private wealth managers. I don't what do you think, think about licensed. what do you think about that? You think there should be licensing for mortgage brokers? Uh, I, I'll tell you that you know I've never dealt with the mortgage broker issue other than when I bought my own house. Of course, that it's not one of the issues that is being potentially deregulated by this bill. Um, but I agree with Ed. You know, it seems to me that there are plenty of people in that industry that aren't licensed. But that's not really what keeps them honest. I would suspect without looking into that occupation further, that they're more scared of being sued than they are about any type of licensing requirement. Right. Um, but I honestly don't know what licensing requirement Well, who, who's feared of being sued? The the lender or the broker himself? Both. Mm, maybe both. And remember, you know, one of the things that, that you both touched on recently in the last few minutes is that there are other options to license So, for example, you can have a registration requirement. You can have mandatory insurance. You can have, as we do here in Florida, an unfair and deceptive trade practices act. And so there are all sorts of ways to go after dishonest actors and, and keep them honest without having to have an actual barrier to competition. And when you increase competition, what you do is you increase consumer choice, increase quality, and you actually increase safety. It's from the lack of competition that things like quality and safety go down. And, of course, one obvious example, this is technically an occupational license, but I think it's easy to illustrate, is just look at the taxi industry, right? What happens is when you have restricted competition, you know, the cars start to stink, they're, they're falling apart, they're not in good shape, and then, and then you let more competitors in through someone like Uber or Lyft, and what happens? Service goes up, quality goes up. Um, and, and the, yeah, that's just the, the, well, the like, private sector phenomenon. One example where technology. Concent- concentration has really cut down quality, as I see it, is our banking system. Uh, we now have six banks that control 50% of American deposits. And look what right. happened, the scandal at uh, Wells Fargo, where employees were being pushed to Do, increase Get the bonuses. Business, and they made up all these, like 100,000 <laughs> accounts. That's a huge number. Yeah, they should go to jail right. for stuff like that. But, but it tells you there's less competition. You know, Ed, you're putting your, num- your, your your finger on something very important, which is that... No, today it's his nose. Like, like Dodd-Frank, I mean, this isn't a licensing issue, but these regulations like Dodd-Frank, what right. they do is they incentivize consolidation. Right. They incentivize having giant banks because there are huge administrative costs that come along with those laws. Yep. And those costs can be borne more easily by a giant bank than a small one. And so what ends up happening is because of those regulations all the big banks end up eating up the small banks, and then you're left with just a handful of banks that are too big to fail. And it's actually because of those regulations like Dodd-Frank. Right, exactly. That and you can also see applies. This, this year, BB&T is buying SunTrust. So in par- a big part of that was to reduce the cost of uh, regulatory expenses. I thought it was to reduce the cost of Coca-Cola. So no, SunTrust, no, no. And Coca-Cola and, and SunTrust were founded together, practically. Almost. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something there. Um, I think... Uh, all this regulation is directly the result of you, the attorneys. You guys have created all these regulations no, no, in and out of the administrative state. Because the there's a bunch of low-life attorneys of who can't survive in the, in, the, in the private sector. They'll try to get elected, and then they'll lose the election, and then they'll go into the bureaucratic state, and they'll be appointed by someone there's, who they lost but not, to. not all the administrators are lawyers, so there's right. non-lawyers. That's exactly right. 
So, but you're, you're how many of them? You're onto something, Manny. You're onto something. <laughs> okay, so the non-lawyers that are in the administrative state were put there by a lawyer. Probably. Probably. Most politicians are lawyers, but I don't think you can blame you can blame the legal industry for many things. But but unfortunately, the rise of the administrative state has been fueled by a ton of different occupations, only some of whom are lawyers. Um, but I, I totally agree with you that the administrative state is out of control. And honestly, one of the big reasons is because of the way that the Supreme Court turned uh, a blind eye to the Constitution back during the New Deal right. and let let the administrative state expand in ways that were, never should have been allowed under any type of original public meaning analysis of the Constitution. Uh, and so when you don't have judges willing to do their job under the Constitution, you get this run runaway administrative state that does many of the same things that the founders warned against. Like they warned against uh, combining the executive, legislative, and judicial functions into one group, that that was the definition of tyranny. That's exactly what federal agencies do. They have all three of those functions. Um, yep. yet, yeah, uh, uh, Ed's big on that. Uh, yeah, administrative the, well, judges. Well, the SEC, for example, has they do uh, l regulations, so they issue rules. Then they enforce those rules, and then if you're caught, they bring you before their own employees, administrative law judges. So you know, right. Montesquieu was rolling over in his grave. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We actually have a case against the SEC right now. Oh, tell us, tell us. Yeah, the SEC actually has a rule. Um, that they that that basically any time they um, uh, prosecute you for anything, no matter how frivolous, no matter how minor, in exchange for them not throwing the book at you, even if you're completely innocent, you have to agree to never talk about it, to never right. criticize the SEC. It's yep. called the gag rule. Yep. And yep. so what what the SEC does is they they you know try to make themselves look good in the public. So they have these big press conferences and talk about how like everyone they're going after are all these horrible people. Most of it is total garbage, and, and half of the people they're going after are innocent. But they're, they, they, they totally embarrass them in the media. And then in exchange for them not being faced with you know decades and decades uh, of, of years in jail for crimes they haven't even committed, these people have to admit that they'll never publicly say that the SEC went after them for no good reason or that they're innocent. They just have to kind of shut their mouths and bear it. Well, isn't it, um, isn't it a, a, you know, a freedom of speech issue? Yeah. So how, exactly. how can the judge tell, uh, tell Roger Stone to shut up? Does not have the right to just no, talk to him? Exactly right. And Why is that different? We're actually representing the Cato Institute, you know, the, the, the free market think tank. Yeah. Yeah. They, wanted, they wanted to publish a book written by someone who had been victimized by the SEC, who had gone through this issue of having false charges levied against him and who wanted to write a book about it. But, and, and the Cato Institute wanted to publish it, but they couldn't because of this gag order. And so the Institute for Justice is representing the Cato Institute as the publisher, asking the courts to rule that these gag orders are unconstitutional and that Cato should be allowed to publish the book. Absolutely. Oh, wow. And that would open up a huge can. Well, you know, the, worms. the, the whole uh, SEC, Hopefully. I think, is unconstitutional. That'd be fantastic. Because it's a prior restraint on speech, including commercial exactly. speech. So what's what's different uh, in the Roger Stone case when he's being Roger charged? Roger Stone is is uh, I think different because the he's, he's before the judge. So when you're already before the judge, the judge can impose restrictions. Although I agree they may be excessive. Why? Because he's trying to contaminate a jury pool or, or something. What? Yes. Is okay. that right, Jace? Justin? I mean, I'm not an expert on the Roger Stone case, but my understanding from the news reports is that 
he did something that could be reasonably interpreted as threatening a judge, which is a, a big no-no. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. In that case, I uh, yeah, there's got to be an exception to the rule. So it's a different story than being before the SEC or some of the other regulatory agencies. Right. Yeah, and there's right. and, and if you want to contaminate a jury, there's other ways to do it. I have some ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, it's quite possible. There's a, there's a case that we all. Um, uh, we're part of a men's uh, men's retreat, a men's retreat. We're Catholic uh, retreatants, right? And we have we believe that God was going to bless us, and um, we started doing uh, uh, retreats in Puerto Rico right around the time they were picking the jury for the famed uh, the famed uh, Freedom Patriots trying to take out Castro. Okay. And uh, we had this faith that that if we just had retreats all over Puerto Rico, sooner or later we'd have an, an Emmaus brother. In the jury. Oh, you would, sure. Yeah, we just believed that if we just and did you do them, that, and it worked. Yes, they well, were found if you, innocent. If oh, okay, so you had a, if you had enough retreats, you'd had. You'd, yeah, there was somebody you, you would were, get on the jury. You were tainting that, the jury. Yeah, pool. by being faith-based, freedom-loving, <laughs> anti-communist, God-loving people. So you and tainted it worked. that jury pool. Yeah, when the, when the verdict came down, man, we all all the men's brothers went into Miami International Airport, and we and um. The, what precipitated all this, or actually what motivated all of us about the retreats, is that uh, the attorney for the defendants were Amaze Brothers. Retreatants. Really? You know, were the, brothers yeah. of ours. So he won the case, and we just went ape at the, at the airport terminal waiting for them to come home from Puerto Rico after they had won the case. It was bedlam in there. It looked like a bunch of college kids coming. Well, through. you're lucky you weren't up against an administrative agency because they would have had their own employee try you. Without well, a jury. Yeah, and considering that hundreds of millions of people are listening to this, maybe they'll call for a retrial just because of what I said. No, it was all okay. faith-based, I swear. I mean, it was just amazing. We, we, this was going on. Uh, but you did that with an uh, Article Three federal judge, federal court, right? It was under, yeah. It was right, so court. it was a separate from the prosecutor and from the legislature. Well, the, the act, uh, they, they raided these people in the waters off Margarita, the island of Venezuela. Okay. And Castro was speaking at there, and it was offshore. It was uh, not really international waters. Clearly, uh, what we felt was Venezuelan waters, and that was the issue of the case. It was out of American dur- jurisdiction, and therefore the Puerto Rican court, which was the federal court assigned to these areas, uh, shouldn't be hearing the case at all. Okay. And that's that's it. It was enough. You won on that on that issue. Well, not we, but they. Okay, great. Congratulations. I mean, I was an unlicensed jury uh, selector. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so licensing for jury selection specialists? That's yeah, a big that, business yeah, now. That's a big business now. Hell, I would have loved Actually, to. that's not a license requirement either. It's not qual- yeah, it's not qualified. That's good, yeah. That's a good question. I should have asked that one to, to you. Hold on. Being qualified is not the same thing as whether something's licensed. Just right. because a license isn't required doesn't mean you're qualified. Oh, right. you guys set me up. That was perfect. Yep. Uh, should I say what I was going to say or no? no. Too obvious. That applies to lo- lawyers. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, my son's a lawyer, so I also have the gravitas. You have to criticize lawyers, you know. I thought it was better to have one as a son than to be one. Right? You guys can't knock me for that, yeah, right? Absolutely. No, you're on no, the right no, track. No. And he's also UM Again, Law, yeah, by the I go back to my point that, you know, for all of your... Uh, criticisms of lawyers, and I, I share many of them. You know that's happening; those, those issues are happening, even though it's a licensed profession, and that just shows the disconnect between the licensing laws and actually protecting the public. Yeah, I, I wonder. Um, also, when you go into criminal law, 
I don't think Americans realize that the vast majority of murders are never solved. So that goes to say that the criminal justice system and the legal prosecutors, yeah, it, the attorneys, are failing well, in the Chica- public in that no, respect, in too. In Chicago, 17% of all murders are solved. Uh, 17. Wow. I don't know about Florida, but yeah, that's a big issue. Yeah, I, I think your number is way too high in Chicago. No, no, no. Especially it's, like, you know, 10 guys are dead today. They're, they're not going to yeah, investigate those crimes. Yeah, they never find it. But that's because the community doesn't uh, disclose. Yeah, 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 it's a hush, a hush, hush thing. But, you know, uh, Justin, talking about the administrative agencies and the SEC, they're giving your client a hard time uh, with not publishing. And, uh, the gag rule is definitely, I think, unconstitutional. At the same time, they missed the Bernie Madoff case for 10 years, even after this right. guy sent them information accusing him. Yeah, and the fun fact, Bernie Madoff had a license. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Right. He was a licensed investment advisor. That's right. Unbelievable. Yeah, and also when the collapse in the 2008 banking collapse, only one guy was prosecuted uh, in that whole trillion-dollar collapse. Well, man. listen, business failure is not a crime. Yeah, but come on. When, when licensed stockbrokers and derivative uh, traders who are also licensed just sell you out the river a bunch of toxic loans... Knowing they're worthless. No, no, no. But they were, they knew that the federal somebody government. Somebody should have been prosecuted. They knew the federal government would take them. Yeah, Freddie That's, and Fannie. There you go. The problem was the Fed moral hazard created by this Fed safety net for the whole industry. Now, is Freddie and Fannie, because I was, I was posed yeah. this question the other night. I was debating it, and I, I, I think I walked away having lost the argument. Uh, this person um, made legal claim that the Freddie and Fannie really wasn't a government agency. It's a semi-government. It's a government-sponsored enterprise. Meaning only when it collapses. Right. It becomes a government agency when there's a problem. Right. When there's $11 trillion in, in their balance right. sheet and it has to disappear. Right. So I would have said, you know, let him go bankrupt and work it out in court. Yeah, because this person was telling me that there was, and he was a mortgage broker, licensed, he said, yep. <laughs> that all the money that goes in in Freddie goes in it goes out as private money and it goes in as private money and it's bought in the secondary market right. as private money but it's guaranteed by Freddie or Fannie in case it collapses right so that's what happened in 2008 so they just absorbed it all and it just went away and nobody gets prosecuted the, right the secretary well you know, who should have been prosecuted is uh, whoever created the community reinvestment act in oh, during go the back to get Jimmy Carter Jimmy Carter administration right and then Mario Cuomo was secretary of HUD pushing for those CRA loans during the 1990s. And Mr. Summers should also go to jail. Who? Uh, Summers. He's now president of Harvard, I think. No, Larry Summers. Larry no. Lawrence Summers. That no, creep. No, that guy no. should go to the slammer. For what? Well, because uh, he allowed insurance companies to uh, go into the commodities exchange oh, and trade on. in dollars. And he also... That's fine. He also created an environment for the other doofus to come in later and... Set no, up tarp. The, the the three problems were easy money. There was ver- interest rates were too low, subprime lending required by the feds, and moral hazard. The feds announced that they were going to bail out not only formally but informally anybody that had problem. Well, that's Lawrence Summers. No, that was uh, yeah, that was Summers. That was Greenspan. Ah. Greenspan. Well, yeah, well, okay. low easy money, subprime lending, moral hazard. Okay, so now what else is on your plate and for uh, litigation? Something like really provocative for our audience that us doofuses don't realize is going on. Well, 
you know, speaking of federal agencies, uh, I've been fighting a lot lately with the FDA because they're also violating the First Amendment. Oh, how so? The FDA? That's pretty right. cool. Well, the FDA likes to try to define what words mean. And, of course, they create those definitions not based on what the public thinks, but based on what uh, giant you know, corporations uh, want them to say. And so, for example... I represent a dairy farmer. I had this type of case in Florida at one point. Now I have it up in, in Pennsylvania where I represent a, a, a dairy farmer who tried to expand into Pennsylvania, and, and he sells all-natural dairy products. He doesn't add any ingredients. He pasteurizes the dairy milk, but that just means he heats it up. He doesn't add anything. And so he goes to the state of Pennsylvania and says, I want to start selling in Pennsylvania, and I'd like to call my pure skin milk skin milk. And the state of Pennsylvania writes them back and says, you know what, if you were in Pennsylvania, we would have no objection to you describing your pure skim milk as skim milk. But we know you sell across state lines, which means you trigger the FDA requirements. And the FDA has defined the product skim milk as having three ingredients. The first ingredient is skim milk. The other two ingredients are vitamin A and D additives. Oh. And if you sell, yeah, if you sell the skim milk without the additives, it's still safe to drink and legal to scale, sell, but you can't call it skim milk. You have to call it imitation skim milk. Oh, come oh, on. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the pure Why don't you just milk, call it powder milk, you know, for Christ's sake? Right. And it's because these giant dairy conglomerates have pushed the FDA to create this one-size-fits-all uh, uh, template for what words have to mean. And anyone who tries to give customers another choice or another option, or do something a little different, they just get crushed. Um, and, and that's just one example. That there are quite a few. And then what happens is, oftentimes, you know, even though the FDA food regulations usually only apply to sales across state lines, not all, but, but many of them, uh, the states just end up copying and pasting what the FDA does, which is why I had a similar lawsuit against the state of Florida, who had copied that regulation for, for, for sales in Florida. Um, Thankfully, there are a few states that don't, you know, follow that madness, like Pennsylvania. But even that doesn't help you if you're selling across state lines, like my client in, in Maryland who wants to sell from Maryland into Pennsylvania. And so we're suing the FDA, and they just, they've got this entire dictionary of terms called standards of identity, where they've created their own versions of words, and they think that's what should matter instead of the common understanding that consumers understand. And I imagine so, yeah. that could also keep you from getting a license to pasteurize milk if you're not willing to admit that you do not use right if you, if you violate these laws if you don't do what the fda says you could have your dairy license pulled and so you do have, have the license to right. pasteurize absolutely exactly your, your whole creamery will get shut down and you also have the license i'm sure to turn the milk into yeah. ice cream right you have another license for that the common theme right. here justin in all these uh cases is what's called regulatory capture the industry yep. The industries capture the regulator for the benefit That's of the exactly big players. Right. Okay, and now what would be the ramification? Could we as a society survive uh, without the FDA? Well, the FDA you has think we delayed would po- a lot of drugs. How quickly would we poison each other? The FDA has delayed a lot of drugs. I can tell you that. So what? Yeah, it, uh, are, go ahead. A lot of people, there are quite a few people who sadly have passed away because of the delay. Because of uh, delays, the delays of the drug, uh, the passages of the drugs. I think we might have lost him. His really improved cell phone call. Right. I uh, think the FDA went out and got him. 
Yeah, they. I the think SEC. they shut him down. They shut him down. The SEC. Yeah, man. I think they uh, they shut down but the. That's tires. amazing. Bernie Madoff was licensed as an investment advisor, and this went on for like twenty years. And I know there was a private sector accountant who looked into it and and sent the evidence to the SEC, and they ignored this. They, you know, they're just a bunch of bureaucrats. Well, I'll tell you, man. Um, uh, we have to have him on uh, more often sure. because I know there are people in the audience are get floored when they hear stuff like this, the ridiculous nature of the administrative state. And if you're a liberal out there, you're a stinking freaking liberal because here in the concrete conservatives, we're here to upset you, <laughs> okay, in some way or form. You have to really consider what is it in your mind, what is it in your heart that allows you to think for a moment that government's good at anything. Well, it, the, the interesting thing is you often hear, oh, you need free markets, but with regulation. But then look at the regulation. No, the best one a liberal told me was, oh, I'm not a socialist. I'm a welfare capitalist. Oh, God. Okay, I go, right. my God. But so liberals always say, oh, you need the free market, but with regulation. But then look at the regulation and the, the whole theory of regulatory capture, regulation really works to uh, benefit the big incumbents. Who, in can, handle, who can handle the bureaucracy? Yeah, because the cost of, regula- of compliance is about the same for every firm. And, so, it's, and the regulation is written by the private sector who pushes well, it Well, very them. often, that's right. So the firms are bigger because then they can, uh, the cost of regulation is less of a factor to them the bigger they are. So that leads to bigger firms, less competition, less innovation. And that just creates a low, slower economic growth and less uh, well, it's, diversity. It's really nice what the Bush administration did What's that? when they deregulated hatcheries uh, and loaned small farm hatcheries so they wouldn't have to sell to the producer of the world. And they gave them these loans that strangled them, and uh, they end up getting bought out by the producer. In any event, right. I'll pay off your loans. I'll right. pay off your loans. That's another just, thing. Government subsidies, loan guarantees, and loans, they just... Eventually, you can't make it, and you have to buy. Uh, you have to sell. Yeah, you have that's to sell an, to another the big example boy. is the uh, renewable energy industry, which is totally held up by uh, federal mandates, subsidies, loan guarantees, tax credits, that sort of thing. And then uh, my uh, here's a, here's another one: uh, why we really lowered the speed limit from seventy to fifty-five over gas, not safety. Really, and it was sold as a safety measure. And guess what? When you bunch up cars at 55, there's going to be more accidents. And right. indeed, there are more accidents because the speeder continues to speed, but now he's weaving through the lanes. Are we still at 70 now? Are we back at 70? Well, I there's think so. a large tracks, uh, federally funded uh, turnpikes that have federal funds within state that are co-op. And the state puts up more money on a federally funded interstate than... You can go to seventy, and in some in places in Texas, I'd like for you to research it. I no think speed limit. It goes to just open up, right? Because people are, want to get from one major city to another major city. And yeah, Texas is big, yep. And you have uh, what's the biggest stretch uh, between Houston and Dallas, or Dallas and Houston, uh, and Dallas, four hours. I've taken it. Wow, and they're two enormous cities, and you can't. And and you guys, and there's lift- a talk of a, a bullet train, but it's got a lot of complications, and it's not clear that it can pay for itself. So. It will if, not pay for it. If you time. build it, they, they will default. Why don't you guys space. go kill that idea and We're working on move, transfer that energy to the Great Wall of Will, which actually moves cargo, so we all can compete with the Panama Canal. And guess what? You saw the picture I told you, I showed you, and I told you that there's a way of making the border fence profitable. 
actually an engine generator, a job generator, as well as eliminating uh, eliminating the, all the weak spots on the border. And these people, and I, I like to say they stole my idea, but since they're scientists, I'm not. They're going to deny it. But that idea of putting uh, green energies along the the border uh, was off. Was shown to Marco Rubio in 2009 and 10 by me because it was my draft of the chapter before I put a train on it. Okay. Where I get the train idea is from the obvious. Atlas shrugged. So watching right. the movie hit me hard. I go, oh, of course, that's what my idea is missing. A freight train going from San Diego to Brownsville, stopping at cities and creating cities on the borders that are really skunk poor you right now. You know where Elon Musk has put his uh, launcher? Brownsville. Brownsville, Texas. Yep. The, right next to the Mexican border, right on the Gulf of Mexico. So he wants his rockets to land in Mexico by mistake, and then what? He can't no, they'll get land it. in the Gulf if they if they miss. Yeah, so, well, you have to be on the coast, right? Right. Because only the technology needs to be in Houston. He's in right of, next to the Gulf, yeah. Well, um, there's going to be serious competition between Texas and Florida for right. the rocket launching. And also for the uh, new Space Command. The, uh, US. the Houston Space Center is going to be retrofitted, I suppose. I don't know what they're going to, but uh, Governor DeSantis wants it in Melbourne. Absolutely. So it'll probably be a political decision. They'll split the difference and have stuff in both places. Now, do you know if Houston, did this uh, Houston Space Center flood during the Great Flood? No, Houston? no, it did not. I'm it didn't, sure. right? It did so not, there's no right. reason to move it then. Right, 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 right. Wow, right. that's fantastic. Well, that ends the Concrete Conservative Show. And Quick San Ed, yep. with his stuffy nose, I, um, I wanted him to tell our audience what type of no schmiel snot that he had, but he said that he... It was very he, clear. It was very clear. Son of it, a pharmacist. It's, it's from the cigar that Manny gave me yesterday. From the, the cigar that uh, that Manny built. So stay tuned, my friends, for statues and stories. I hope Adam and... David uh, Wells Roth, Roth. the painter that we met last night. Hopefully they're going to call in to talk. Yep. If not, guess what? Since I promoted this on Instagram and made a big deal about it, it's only fitting that they don't show up. No, they will. Don't worry. So stay tuned, my friends. We're going to go, and um, I think I'm going to just talk about, since it was Ed's nose and I doing the show today, uh, Moody Blues, just you and me. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.